The previous couple of Mishnayis discussed cases where different children were mixed up together and we're not sure who their parents are. So this Mishnah gives another example where the wife of a Koyen has a child, so her child is considered to be a Koyen and he is mixed up with the son of their female slave. Now the son of a female slave is considered a slave himself. So we now have two children and each one of them is either a koyen or a slave. And the mission is now going to give a long list of stringencies which apply to them or the different laws which apply to them as a result of their doubtful status. So firstly, they are allowed to eat truma. Although a czar, a non-kohen, is not allowed to eat truma, we learned at length in earlier Prokim that the slave of a kohen is allowed to eat truma. So either way, they are allowed to eat truma. They together take one share of truma at the threshing floor. In general, in order for a kohen to receive truma, he would go to the threshing floor where farmers are completing their processing of their produce, and the farmers would give the kohen a portion of truma. Now, although a slave is allowed to eat truma, and therefore, according to the strict letter of the law, a farmer should be able to give the slave truma as well. However, the Mishnah says that they have to go together because Midrabonon, a slave of a Koyen, may not take truma from a farmer unless his master is present there with him. Reason being that if he goes and takes it by himself, people will start to think that he is a regular Koyen. They won't think that he is a slave of a Koyen, and they might come to marry their daughters to such a man. But he is a slave, he's not Jewish, so it's certainly forbidden. And therefore the slave of a coin can only take truma from the farmer if his master is present there with him. And therefore these two people need to go to the threshing floor together, and then they can receive truma. They are forbidden to become tome from a dead body because of the chance that they are a coin. And there is a rule, Sophic the Raisal that in a doubtful case which concerns a prohibition mid Raisa, one has to rule strictly. So they cannot become Tommy from a dead body. They ain't They cannot marry any women. Both women who are valid for marrying a Koyen and who are not valid. There's no woman who is allowed to marry a non Jewish slave and is also allowed to marry a Koyen. So they cannot get married. However, there is a mitzvah on a man to have children. Just like we learned at the end of the sixth parak. And therefore he's obligated to get married. So there is a solution that each one can free the other one. And as a result, the slave will become a free man. And the halacha is when a non-Jewish slave is freed, he becomes Jewish. Now, a child is not able to free a slave. He lacks a sufficient level of understanding for his actions to have any halachic significance. But once the mixed children grow up, so then they freed each other. They can now marry women and are obligated to marry women who are fit for marrying a koyen. Now each one of them is either a koyen or a regular Jew. So there's now a new list of things which they can't do or can do. What applies to a man who is possibly a koyen or possibly a regular Jew? They cannot become tome to a dead body. However, if they did become tome, they do not get the regular punishment of 40 lashes because there's a chance they didn't violate an Avera. One can only receive the lashes if he certainly violated the Avera. 
So that's forbidden to do so. In case he is a Koyen, he would not get punished in case he is a Yisrael. They not eat truma, they cannot eat truma because each one is possibly not a Koyen. The Imachlu, but if they did eat the truma, then in Shalman Karen Vachimesh, they do not need to pay as a punishment the value of the truma which they ate, plus an added on fifth. That is a general punishment for one who eats truma if he is a czar, a non koyain However, when it comes to monetary matters, there is a rule of that if somebody wants to take something or take money from somebody else, he can only receive it if he has proof that he's certainly entitled to that money. Now, since in this case there is a doubt as to whether this person owes the money, because if he is a koyain then he was allowed to eat the truma and he is not obligated to pay that money, any case where there is a doubt whether one is obligated to pay money, he is not obligated to do so. And he keeps the money because of the rule of They do not take a portion of truma at the threshing floor, although one of them is a koyain, because one of them isn't, and they might come to eat the truma if they take it. Now when it comes, if let's say they're a farmer, if one of them is a farmer, so if he is Israel, then he's obligated to give truma from his produce to a koyain. But if he is a Kohen, he is not obligated. So again over here we would apply the rule of and he does not need to give the truma to somebody else, to another Kohen. However, he's not allowed to eat the truma in case he's not a Kohen. So what should he do? He should sell the truma and then he can keep the money. A non-Kohen is not allowed to eat truma, but he is allowed to benefit from the truma and therefore he can keep that money. They cannot have a share in carbonos brought in the base Hamikdash. Certainly they can't eat carbonos, which only male Karnim can eat. But other rites, such as taking the hides, the animal skins of carbonos, those usually go to Karnim. So again, this person has no right to it because he can't prove that he is entitled to it. The Einosim Kodshim. One can't give holy items to them, which should generally go to Kranim. For example, a Bechor, a firstborn animal, there's an obligation to give one's firstborn animals to a Koyain. And if that animal has no wound on it, then it's brought as a Korban, and the Koyain would eat its meat. And if it does have a wound, then the Koyain can keep it for himself. Now, since this person is possibly not a Koyain, one will not be able to give him his firstborn animal, or other things which go to Koyanim. On the other hand, the Emitzin Shalohem Yodom, we don't take away their own firstborn animals from them. Because of the rule of Hamitzim Echaveya Olav Haraya, and he's possibly a Koyen, in which case he can keep his firstborn animals. We'll see in a moment what exactly he would do with the animal, but first the mission interrupts with something else. In general, if somebody slaughters an animal, he's obligated to give certain parts of it to a Koyen. So if this person slaughters an animal, he is not obligated to do so, because of the rule of Hamitzim Echaveya Olav Haraya. So, he is exempt from giving the front legs, the cheek, and the stomach of an animal when he slaughters it, because he himself is possibly a Koyain. Now, his own firstborn animal, what should he do with it? He can't bring it as a carbon and then eat its meat, because he's possibly not a Koyain. But what happens if it doesn't have a wound? It's forbidden to give a wound deliberately to a firstborn animal. So he's stuck here. Nope, says the Mishnah. He should let his firstborn animal pasture around, and he should basically wait until it develops a wound, and then he can just benefit it from it for himself. 
And lastly, as we have seen throughout the Mishnah, we place upon him the stringencies of Kohanim, as well as the stringencies of Yisraelim. And the Gemara explains this comes to include another case, and that is a Korban Mincha. A Korban Mincha is an offering of flour, and the halacha is when a Yisrael brings a Korban Mincha, so he brings the flour to the Beis HaMikdash, a Kohen would take a handful of three fingers, known as a Kohenetz, it's sort of like a three-finger handful of flour, and he would offer that on the Mizbeach. And the rest of it, the Kohenim could eat. On the other hand, if a Kohen brings a Korban Mincha, then all of the flour is burnt on the Mizbeach. Now, it's forbidden to burn something on the Mizbeach, which is not supposed to be burnt on the Mizbeach, and therefore, it would be forbidden to burn all of the Korban Mincha of the Israel. So if this person brings a Korban Mincha, what should we do? The answer is, you take a handful and burn that on the Mizbeach, and the rest of it should be burnt elsewhere, since it can't be eaten in case he is a Kohen. Mr. Vol, we learnt earlier on at the end of the fourth parak that if a woman is divorced or widowed from her husband, she may not remarry a different man within three months of leaving her first husband. Because otherwise it could be that she'll become pregnant very soon after, and we won't know whether the child is the child from the first husband or the second husband. The Mishnah discusses a case where she violated this prohibition, and indeed we have a doubt as to who this person's father is. Somebody, a woman who did not wait three months after separating from her husband, and she married somebody else within the three months, and she gave birth to a son. It is unknown whether that son was born after a nine-month pregnancy, in which case he is the son of the first husband, or possibly he was born after a seven-month pregnancy, in which case he is the son of the second husband, the last husband. And She also has children from her, from her first husband and from her second husband. So if you look at the diagram for this Mishnah, Sora married Avraham and they had a son called Yitzchak. And then Avraham died and Sora went and married a month later Moshe. And they had a son called Yosef, seven months after they got married. And then a couple of years later, they had another son called Gershom. So if Yosef, who is the son who we're not sure whether his father is Avraham or Moshe, if Yosef dies, then Chultz and Yadmin, the two men who are possibly the Yavam, so Yitzchak and Gershom, should perform Chalitza and not Yibum on Yosef's wife. They can't do Yibum because she is an Ereva of the one who is not the Yavam. She's his brother's wife on the mother's side. So for both Yitzchak and Gershom, she's either their Shemeres Yavam or an Ereva, and therefore they must both do Chalitza. Similarly, he himself will need to do Chalitza or Yibum on their wives if they die. Since again, towards Yosef, Yitzchak's wife and Gershom's wife, once Yitzchak or Gershom die, she's either going to be Yosef's Shmeres Yavam, or if she's not a Shmeres Yavam, then she is his brother's wife. On the mother's side, she's an Erva, and therefore he would not be able to do Yibum, so out of doubt he should do Chalitza. Continues the Mishnah. If Yosef had brothers from the first man of Roham and the second man Moshe, but not from Sarah. Now, of course, they're not all Yosef's brothers. If you look at the diagram, the cases where Avraham had another wife, Hannah, and Moshe also had another wife, Miriam. 
and they had more children. So Yosef is either the brother of the rest of the children of Avram and Chana, from the father's side only, or he is the brother on the father's side of Moshe and Miriam's children. The point is, however, that they are no longer brothers on the mother's side. Rather, if indeed Yosef is Avram's son, then he's not related at all to Moshe and Miriam's sons. And if there will be no problem of an erva, so who chalitzim yabim? Yosef would do chalitza or yibum when Avram and Chano's son or Moshe and Miriam's son dies, because either it's his from Yavam or she's not related at all. The Heimechel Chalitzachim Yabim, and they, the children, the sons of Avram and Chana, and Moshe and Miriam, if Yosef dies, so one of them should do Chalitza, and the next one should do Yibum. He can do Yibum. Or Chalitza, because again, there is no problem of an erva in this case. Mission Science, what happens in a case where a woman gets married within three months of separating from her husband, and it is not known which husband is the father of her child? But not only is the identity of the child's father not known, but One of the women who she married was a Yisrael, and one of them was a Koyain. Which means that this man, the child, is now either a Yisrael or a Koyain. Whatever his father was, we just don't know who his father was. So the Mishnah now gives the long list, which we had a couple of Mishnahites ago, of the halachas which apply to somebody who is either a Yisrael or a Koyain. He's got the stringencies of both, and so he has to marry only a woman who can marry a Koyain, so he can't marry a divorcee, for example, or a Chalutzov, he cannot become Tommy from a dead body, however, if he did become Tommy in a service he would not receive the punishment of 40 lashes, since he didn't certainly violate the prohibition. He cannot eat truma in case he is a Yisrael, but if he did eat it, she does not have to pay the value plus a fifth, since he does not need to pay in a case of a doubt. He does not take a portion of truma at the threshing floor in case he comes to eat it, and his own truma from his own field, although we apply the rule of he nevertheless can't eat it out of doubt. When it comes to monetary matters alone, then we say the rule of Hamitsime Chavir Olav Haraya. But here, this is not only a monetary matter, there's also a prohibition upon his czar to eat truma. And therefore, truma, he should sell the truma to a koyain, the Hadom Shaloi, and then he can keep the value, the money which he gets for that truma. He doesn't take a portion in the carbonus or in the animal skins of the carbonus. We don't give him items which generally go to a coin, such as a firstborn animal, or there's a certain type of vow known as where somebody can promise to give something to a coin, and again, he would not be able to receive that. However, we do not take his bachar away from him. If he has animals and they give birth to a firstborn, we don't take that away from him because I'm itzimei chaveri olavharai. And if he slaughters an animal, he is exempt from giving away to a koyain the front legs and the cheek of the animal and the stomach, and his own firstborn animal should pasture, and he should leave it until it develops a wound, and then he can benefit from it in a regular way. Before it develops a wound, it might be need to be brought as a carbon, but he can't do that in case it's not a koyain, so he should wait until it has a wound, and then he can treat it as a regular animal. And we place upon him the stringencies of Karim and Yisraelim, as we explained, if he brings a carbon mincha, a carbon of flour, so somebody working in the Mizbeach would take a three-finger handful known as a koimetz, burn that on the Mizbeach, that's the halacha for a korn mincha of Yisrael, 
but the rest of the flour he burns elsewhere in case that man is a koyan, in which case the flour cannot be eaten. Alright, next case, what happens if Hoshnim Koyanim? Both of this woman's husbands were Koyanim, so this man is definitely a Koyan. We're just not sure who his father is. Now, although this sounds like a simple case, the truth is it's not so simple. Because it can't be that the first husband divorced this woman, because in such a case she is forbidden to go and marry another Koyan. And if she does, then the child will not be a Koyan from there anyway. He would be a doubtful Cholol, which is a Koyan born from a marriage between a Cholol and a divorcee. So it can't be that the first husband divorced this woman. It also can't be that he died, and then she married a second Koyen within three months. Since, as we're going to see in our Mishnah, there are halachas which apply to both of them, which implies that both husbands are still alive. So the Gemara explains we're talking about a specific case where the first husband married that woman, but with a condition. And they lived together, and ultimately the condition was not fulfilled, and at that point the marriage dissolved, as if it had never occurred. And then she went and married a different man, a different Koyen, which she is allowed to do, even though all of the relations which she has had with the first Koyen were not necessarily within marriage, because retroactively speaking she was never married to him. Nevertheless, that does not disqualify her from marrying a Koyen, so that is the case we are talking about. Be it as it may, the son would become an Oinen for both fathers. An Oinen is when one of one's seven closest relatives dies, so on the day of his death, the relative is an Oinein. There are many halachas which apply to an Oinein. He is exempt from many mitzvahs. And when it comes to a Koyein, a Koyein who is an Oinein is forbidden to serve in the base Hamikdash, and he cannot eat Karbonos. So even though this man can generally do so, because he's certainly a Koyein, we're just not sure who his father is. Nevertheless, out of doubt, he becomes an Oinein when either father dies, the Haim Oinein Alav, and both fathers would become an Oinein when this man dies. Hu Oinein he cannot become Tomei in order to bury either father, because a Koyen is only allowed to become Tomei to bury his father, and each one is possibly not his father, the Haim Oinein and they cannot become Tomei in order to bury him. Who in Yoshesom, he would not take an inheritance from either father when they die. And we're talking about a case where there are other children who are taking an inheritance. So since his share is in a state of doubt, he does not have the power to claim a share in the inheritance from the other children because and he has no proof that he is certainly entitled to an inheritance. However, if he dies of a they would inherit him if he didn't have any children. Because in that case, they're both in a state of doubt, and they both have an equal claim on it, so they would split the inheritance when that person dies if he does not have any children. Now the halacha is, if a child hits or curses their father, he is liable to the death penalty by Bastin. However, just like all punishments of Bastin, he only receives the punishment if it's certain that he violated the prohibition. And therefore, if this man hit or cursed one of those fathers, he would be exempt for hitting or cursing either of them, unless he did it to both of them at the same time, in which case he certainly did do it to his father. Alright, he needs to serve in the base Hamikdosh together with both fathers Mishmar. All of the Kurnim are split into 24 Mishmarais, 24 groups, and they serve in the base Hamikdosh one Mishmar for one week. And there's a rotational system. So this Kurnim needs to serve twice, both for the Mishmar of this father and the Mishmar of the other father. 
out of doubt, but at the same time, during the week that he is serving, he cannot take a portion of carbonase or the other things which the members of that mishma of that week's mishma can take. Again, because Hamitzmichaver all of However, if both of the fathers were from the same mishmar, so then he would only serve for one week, not for two weeks, he would only be part of one mishmar, and it would be certain that he's part of that mishmar, and therefore he would take one portion, just like a regular coin in that mishmar, he is also certainly from that mishmar, and therefore he is entitled to the rights of the Anshe mishmar, the members of that week's mishmar. The Masechta now returns to the focus of Yibam and Chalitza, and the twelfth parak in its entirety discusses the process of Chalitza. So firstly, the mitzvah of Chalitza must be performed in front of three judges, even if all three of them are regular people who do not necessarily know all of the laws of Chalitza. That's fine, they're not judging a case. The Torah just says that Chalitza needs to be done in front of Zakanim which literally means old wise people, which means that a basin is required, and since a basin always has to be an odd number, and the Torah says the plural zakenim, so we learn from there that it has to be a minimum of three people. However, since they are not judging a case at the end of the day, so the basin can be made up of regular people. The truth is, Bonon, five people are required in order that the news about her chalitza spreads more quickly and it will be easier for her to get married and it will also prevent Kuanim from marrying her because they'll know that she is a chalitza. But the point is, Midar Raisa, three judges are required. Now the main part of the Chalitza process is where the woman, the Shemeris Yavam, goes to the Yavam, unties his shoe and takes it off. And the Torah says, She will take off his Na'al, his shoe, from his foot. And Na'al always refers to a leather shoe. And therefore says the Mishnah, If she did Chalitza with a leather shoe, Chalitza Zakshira, then her Chalitza is valid. But Ban Pilin, if it was with a shoe made of a soft material other than leather, then it's not considered to be a real shoe in Chalitza Zapsula, her Chalitza would be invalid. Alright, another requirement for the shoe is that it has to have a full heel. If any part of the heel of the shoe is missing, then it will not be valid. But Samlash Yeshle Akev, with a leather sandal, which does have a full heel, kosher, that would be valid, but v'she'en okay. If it does not have a full heel, then possible it will be invalid. It's not considered to be a proper shoe. Now the Pasuk says, She will take off his shoe from upon his foot. The word implies that she is taking off the shoe, but above where her foot is. Now the shoe itself is usually not above the foot, but the shoelaces, or the straps of the shoe, were often tied on the leg itself. There will be longer straps and they would wrap them around their legs. So if the straps or the laces were wrapped around from the Yovam's knee and downwards, then her chalitza is valid, because that is considered to be just above his foot, on the lower half of his leg. However, if the laces were tied such that they were on the knee or above the knee, her chalitza would be invalid, because that's no longer considered to be above the foot. It's too high for that. And therefore, in such a case, the chalitza would not be valid.